The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network My guest is podcaster Gabrielle Livingston Gabrielle started her podcast Gift of the Gab in January this year and has recently left her job in retail to pursue a career in broadcasting. We talk about taking that plunge in spite of the usual fears and worries. Gabrielle tells me about a slightly unusual family background and how it shaped her personality. And we talk about losing a parent, sexual assault and being a 12-year-old aspiring detective. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it. It's a great help. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't fret about debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. This isn't typically how I would do an interview, but there's far more accessible information about people. So I've decided to kind of just take the listener with me as I ask you all these questions and find out in real time because most of the time I already know kind of what I'm going to ask. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to find out completely how... I know your, your mum's French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going to tell me about that, how, like how your mum and dad met? Because so you and now, you, you speak French. That's like, mm-hmm. Would you call that your second language or your first language? No, second, definitely. Right, okay. English is my first language because I grew up in Glasgow. Yeah. I was born here. I can't be saying, oh, French is my first language. That has <laughs> Glaswegian accent. I mean, like, if you learn it at home, sometimes people, like, they would consider that to be the first. Like, I know Spanish and Catalans who have mm. got uh, British parents. So they, although they pure sound Spanish and stuff, they would say, oh, no, English is my first language. That was my, re- my logic okay. for that. Nah, definitely English is my first language. But I do think in French, and I do sometimes dream in French. I dream in Spanish. No way. Yeah, really? yeah. Uh-huh, all the time. That's odd. I know. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think in, I talk to myself in Spanish a lot as well. I speak to myself in French, or like if I get annoyed at something, I'll start swearing yeah. in French. Can I feel like you can express yourself a bit better? Yeah, sometimes, and sometimes it's just like phrases in French that just don't like you can't translate into English, and yeah. like no one will understand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so all I like having a Spanish-speaking pal because then you can have the most private conversation in the most public setting. I do that a lot. Yeah, I do that a lot. Actually, with French, somebody, people like me don't give a shit, but I want to tell the <laughs> story. I was walking along Paddington uh, on, what day was it? Tuesday. And these three women were walking towards me and they were like, uh, excusez-moi. <laughs> and I was like, you're in luck. <laughs> I, I love doing that. Yeah, you I feel like, so good about yourself. You're I like, know. 
vous inquiétez pas. Je suis très désolé pour mon français. Et like, non, non, ton français, c'est très bon. And they like, love it. Yeah, je as sais. soon as you start speaking to someone in their language, they love it. Yeah, I know, it's great. So how, how did your mum and dad meet and how did you end up, how did it come to pass that you ended up growing up in Glasgow and not France? So I'll start from the beginning. My mum grew up in a tiny village in the south of France, in like the Dordogne region of France. Yeah. Like, I mean tiny like I'm related to everyone there like <laughs> they're heavily involved with the church like that sort of vibe um, and then my mum obviously I mean growing up somewhere so small like there's no public transport near supermarkets like a 25 minute drive like up a cliff like there's did everyone like just move closer to a spa that's what you think oh, yeah. that's what you think I might pitch that to them move like, closer to a wee car <laughs> <laughs> but then my mum left at 17 um, and went to Toulouse and studied there and did geography for some reason. I don't know sure, why. I may as well move. I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, actually. And then she moved, ended up going to London. Right. And becoming an au pair and learning English just through living there. Um, and she really loved London. She lived there for, I think, 11 years. Wow. And she lived in 11 different flats while she was living there. Like, she just moved every single year. Yeah. And then she worked for Perna Recar as a the, like a the drinks brand yeah, the right. drinks brand and my dad was working for a pair of week or two but up in Glasgow and then he got sent down to London and they actually have a really cute story of how they met um, so my dad got sent down to do like a training thing in London and my mum was doing it with it it was just those two like they were the only people doing it and when they were like my dad just by chance and the whole London was like living down the street from my mum <laughs> so every day my mum would give him a lift in together blah 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 they'd do their work they'd come back and my dad really fancied her he was like went home to his flat and he was like there's this fit French bird like <laughs> I need to get in there and all this and my mum was like had this like amazing like curly brown hair she was just so gorgeous that like thick French French accent tanned like everything and my dad was just this like scrawny wee ginger <laughs> Scottish man <laughs> pale as day and then um, he said to his flat look like, listen I need to get in with her so can you please go to the pub round the corner tonight and I'm going to act like I'm locked out of the flat and that you're not in and I've forgotten my keys <laughs> so she drops them off and like they go their separate ways like down the street and he goes at like he like goes up to the door and he's like oh no and he like shouts at her like Elise I can't get in like he's not in the flat and then she invited him up and then the rest was history uh-huh. yeah. you, you were conceived that and night and I was conceived that very <laughs> night and then they got married which my mum was pregnant when she she got married oh really I don't actually think anyone knows so. yeah I'm probably, yeah, but... I'm probably not far up sorry Elise if, <laughs> yeah, sorry mum it's just sweet to be this Elise <laughs> yeah. um, I love wee stories like that though mm. I love to get a sort of because your family or your sort of would you call it like landscape or background or whatever is not atypical is it no not at all so what, did your mum then move up to, to air. To air? Mum went from the south of France to air. Fucking hell. She loves air. Does she? She's like, just like the best place on. She's like, there's the seaside, there's the beach and everyone's so nice. And I'm like, what? Yeah, does she still have like a like a pure French accent? <laughs> yeah, my mum has a really thick French accent. Does she? But she's lived here for 25 years and she's got the thickest French is accent. She, is it like anglicised or is it more Scottish? Because obviously she's lived in both of those places for she a long time. She says I. In a Scot- uh, French accent, she go, "Oh, aye." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I would love right. to interview. Do you, I interviewed uh, somebody else, a French author, and she, I listened to that. that and she's her accent's lovely. Yeah, and she's gone from quite a similar 
journey like she mm. was like kind of south of France kind of near Marseille went to London as an au pair uh-huh. but then has kind of stayed in London and walked all around so it's like must be like a well worn path do, do, do you have or does your mum have like French friends that are also here she, we have another French woman that lives on our street and she's lovely so they like what are the chances yeah of it? it's such a small world yeah so they just have their wee chats they live in the south of France well, too. They um, talk about Macron and stuff yeah, together. Yeah, they literally like cycle route. <laughs> like they're, you know, they're just, yeah, they have their little French chats. But other than that, like, there's not that, my mum doesn't have that many, fr- actually, that's her only French friend here. Really? Yeah. And like, all of my family live in France. Mm. Yeah. Do, in the house, what language do you speak? Oh, it, go, it floats in between both. In between. And when my mum gets angry, she, like, goes, like, she'll... Oh, I feel really bad saying this. But, like, she'll, like, scream like a witch. <laughs> she'll, like, go from, like, English to French. And it's just, like, it's very entertaining. Yeah, it must be quite mesmerising. Yeah, it is. I'm like, wow. And I try not to laugh, but I may not laugh. Can I come over for a cup of tea and just noise her up just to get <laughs> yeah, her just to... piss her off. Yeah. <laughs> Wind her up. I just say sort of, yeah, like, yeah, French cuisine. Horrible. Hate it. <laughs> Prefer Italian. Um... That that honestly fascinates me so much, and I think it will give us a kind of I I kind of wanted to paint that picture because I think it'll it'll tie back to like my kind of later questions. Um, school then, so you went to school in Glasgow. Yeah, I'm going to stick you in here. Did you go? You went to a private school, didn't you? I went to three different schools. Right. Okay. Went to a public school, then a private school, and then another private school. Why? I, I mean, I, I could just Google this, but in the moment I can't. Why did, when they say I went to public school, they mean they went to a private school? What the hell is that all about? That's like a sort of phraseology. I actually don't know. But that is it's, a thing, is it, isn't it? It's an English thing, though. Yeah. Because public is what? It's access to the public? Oh, well, state school. Public school in the UK, a private fee-paying secondary school, especially one for boarders. But in America, it means a school supported by public funds. Oh. That's... There's probably there'll be probably some reason that goes away back mm. that will make sense. Um, what what did you what like what was school like? Hated it. Did you really dislike school? What I said that what was school like? That well, there was a class, there was teachers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a bell that went off every and now I read and again. a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so you weren't a fan. No, I was bullied in primary school, like oh, for being French. For being stinking of cheese. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> just, <laughs> like I don't know, I was just a kid, and there was yeah. this um girl and her mum like just really didn't like me and she once screamed at me in the playground and like twisted my arm it was like like I swear yeah yeah. it was really fucked up and my mum went like mental obviously and she took me out and like the next week I went to a private an all girls school that shut down now Craig Home in Port Shields I went there that was like I enjoyed my time at Craig Home it was nice like it was really small all Mm -hmm. girls um yeah and like all girl environment can be really bitchy, but like it was sound like I was just a kid. How's kind of school shut down? Like you just come back for primary five and like nobody's <laughs> there. Genuinely, it's just because no people were sent. Like no one really wanted to send their kids to like an all girls school anymore. Oh, right. Like it got to the point where they were accepting guys. Has <laughs> that not happened uh, with that Notre Dame school? Is that what I don't know if they're still going. I'm pretty sure they're. Well, again, let's let's find <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, let's find out. Notre Dame High School. Because remember they like Fair Hill as well. They were letting guys in. You're like, that's a bit weird, is it not? I mean, result if you're one of the boys. <laughs> yeah, no, we're like class. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then what was high, what high school? Hutchie. I really don't know if I should be saying that. See what you want. Yeah, is that I the one near Hutchie. your house? It's literally, yeah. Across the road. It's right. across the road. And what you weren't a fan of that? I. No one could pay me any amount of money to go back to Hutchie. Like I 
hated that school. I had the worst time. Like, I was extremely depressed. Like, suicidal thoughts. Just want I would have rather died to go, than go into school. God's sake. It was horrible. Like, I had an awful time. And I think the way I behaved as well was, like, shocking, but purely because of the environment that I was in. And it was like a survival. Like, I felt, like, even my mum said this to me. She was like, it was like a zoo. Like, every day I went in and, like, felt like I had to survive to get through the day. It was just horrendous. Mask you always a wee bit like that sometimes. Oh, really? A bit, yeah. Because it just had, like, it was an accumulation of all the mental areas and north and sort of north-west <laughs> Glasgow. <laughs> so, no, mine was just full of posh arseholes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you would, you would just always assume, I mean, people are people and it's human nature, but you'd always assume that the posh environment would be far more like sterile or sort of civilised but it oh can often God. be the opposite I think it was the opposite Just think, is it like a, is it entitlement that generates oh, 100%. that 100% and don't get me wrong there were some really lovely people I went to school with yeah. like really nice people that weren't like that but there was this like entitlement there was like people were getting like Range Rovers and like BMWs for their 17th birthday that was the norm <laughs> like people it. were taking time off out of school to go skiing in the Alps like right. that was the vibe but the only reason that I went there was because my mum worked there and my brother went there too so she got like a discount for both of us something like that like, <laughs> how funny is that two, <laughs> two for, for one, one for your school <laughs> two for one for your kids See, I've seen this video before I saw it quite recently and it's like a Ah, I cringe at myself seeing this. It was like a TikTok, right? But I saw it being circulated on Twitter. I didn't see it on the TikTok app. Anyway, that's my defence. <laughs> um, but it was like, what are the most mental things a rich person's ever said to you? And one was like, how do you ski? <laughs> so that's one, right? But it's that's quite mental, right? But it's it's what follows it, which is a look of absolute shock and disbelief when you're like, eh, no. no. Why, the, why, why the fuck would I ever have been skiing? Yeah. Maybe now, right, as an adult, but I remember being like 22 and someone like, oh, you've never skied. So like, <laughs> yeah. mate, and that the, accent is that I, accent as I'm well. Like, where the fuck do you think I'm going skiing? Like, yeah, literally. Get fucking real, man. What What is the most mental... You probably won't be able to think of it, but what is the most mental thing a, a wealthy person... Person? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, wealthy person said to you. <laughs> I Mike Tyson listener. <laughs> a wealthy person or kid or whatever he said to you, where you're just like, mate, what are you fucking talking about? This, I don't know if this has got anything to do with like them being rich, but more them just being sheltered was when my dad had an affair and I found out and then I went and told one of the girls that I was friends with at the time and I was like, oh, my dad's having an affair, I don't know what to do. And she went, oh, my God, this is just like Pretty Little Liars. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, this is your life, like, hen. dying inside, like, I literally don't know what to do. My family's going to fall apart. And she was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. It's like Pretty Little Liars. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> shit. Yeah, it was horrible. And then also, like, not anything that they've said, but this girl got a personalised champagne gold Range Rover for her birthday. Jesus. At 17. Aye. Which is just insane. Where do you go from there? You're just setting your kids up for a fall. Mm. One of the funniest things somebody Rich has ever said to me is I was like, I must have been like 25 or 26 and I got a new job. But it required that, because it was big company and stuff, but it required that I provided all my own stuff because it was mm. remote working. And one of the things was like, you need a MacBook. So I remember going, oh, fuck, I was like, I need to get That's up. required. Aye. But I was like, fuck's sake, I was like, I need to, I need to get a MacBook. And then you're like, just go to Apple and buy one. I'm like, oh, why didn't I ever think of that? Like, <laughs> that wasn't my fucking issue, idiot. Like, I know where I can obtain one. That's ridiculous. I know it's having the resources to go and just buy a MacBook straight off the bat. 
when I'm like that's shocking. Twenty five. The fact that they expect you to buy it. Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, so, where did, did you go? You went to uni, didn't you? You were at Edinburgh yeah, Uni. But I dropped out twice. I went to Napier. Right. Okay. And I did social sciences. That's criminology, psychology, sociology, and I did that. Did I even do it really? Like I think I went to a couple of lectures and I was like, I I was just in such like a bad place. Hated uni. Just moved. Like, I'd moved at seventeen as well. Like that's young. Yeah. Like, did you leave. what? Did you move because you just thought I want to be out of here? I want to be in another city. Yeah. That and also my boyfriend at the time was going to Edinburgh Uni and I was like, I'll come with you. Yeah. Just come along. We'll live happily ever after. Then literally like two months in broke up on our one year anniversary. <laughs> so like it didn't really work out, obviously. Yeah. But like what do you expect at like seventeen, like first love and everything. So I did that, dropped out. I don't even know when I dropped out. Wasn't very long into it. And then I came back. Like actually I didn't even drop out. I think I switched courses and then did French, Spanish, German and Mandarin. And then COVID hit. And then I was like, this is not going to work out. I, I did not know you could do that. You could just change your course. Yeah. I don't know how they let me. So what, I could go and do travelling tourism? Like, actually, I think I'm going to change to um, medicine. <laughs> <Neuroscience>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to change to law now. <laughs> like, yeah, literally, they'd be like, eh, no. But they just like, accepted it. So I went and did that. Um, and I did genuinely enjoy that until COVID hit. Mm. And that was like, maybe... F- Wait, like September, October, November, December, January, five months in. Like, when was it? March. March 2020, yeah. yeah. So, like, seven months into my first year was when COVID hit. And, like, you can't learn a whole, um, like, a whole language online on Zoom. And then no. also my year abroad was cancelled. I'm sick of fucking telling people you can't learn a fucking language on Duolingo either, man, honestly. No, you can't. See, you have to person, go to the country. Yeah, oh God, the amount of people. Well, I don't know, because I've never lived in France or Italy and I speak French and Italian. All right. But you need to be you need to be around the people. Yeah, that are and also it. I think a good way is watching Netflix shows, like watching things in that language. It's it's constant immersion, isn't it? Hearing yeah. it, hearing it, speaking it, thinking Doing it. Five minutes of Duolingo over next. Practicing. Oh my god, honestly, I'm sick. Yeah, I've been doing Duolingo for like two years, and I just kind of learn it. That's because you're just learning how to say like fucking mad abstract yeah. phrases. And also, you're not learning like the actual language and the way people speak and communicate. Although, if anybody for Duolingo's listening, you would like to throw some money at me, <laughs> then I'm happy yeah, to tell everybody. Shite, but yeah. I'll take the cash. I'm happy. I'm happy to tell everybody. No, I speak <laughs> these languages because I only because I use Duolingo. <laughs> Like download it, it's amazing. Don't yeah, you, it's, it's good to like um refresh your memory. Like sometimes I use it for Spanish. Do you? Yeah. The if for anybody people ask me this all the time and this could be like maybe a one stop shop. If anybody is serious about learning a language, I do recommend if you haven't to do it from home, I recommend the Michelle Thomas method. Are you aware of Michelle Thomas? No. I'm gonna get his actual biography right because sometimes I kinda get a wee bit mixed up. But Michelle Thomas was basically he was a polyglot and he was a war veteran, so he survived imprisonment in several Nazi concentration camps uh, after serving in the French resistance. And then he worked with US Army counterintelligence. And basically he taught people like... So he says he mastered 10 languages, but he taught people like um, Grace Kelly or Prince Albert of Monaco and all people like this. And the way in which he does it... So I did it for Japanese, right? Just for a laugh. So I can now remember, I did this like eight years ago. Konnichiwa, sumimasen, koyokuta, soisoshio, nomimasuka. It sticks in your head, right? But he's basically got this... this um, method where you're listening on like a CD right or like on YouTube or whatever uh-huh. but CDs back then and it starts at beginner uh, intermediate advanced and you've got the teacher the advanced student 
you've got the basic student and then you've got you mm-hmm. and he'll be like give you a, he's like here's a, sh- a very short sentence and he'll explain the structure and he's like these words can then become interchangeable um, or like here are the order in which the Spanish mm-hmm. speaker the Italians or whatever and he'll get you to repeat what you're hearing and then you'll go on and he'll add a word and he'll add another word and then he'll change a word and whatever and he's like no writing no memorising no like trying to be really studious he's like just listen mm-hmm. and practice and um, it was. I remember getting my mum phoning me, and I answered the phone, and she was like, "Hola, yo tengo una pregunta. Eh, ¿Qué piensas sobre la situación política y económica en España?" And I was like, "Who the hell is on this phone? Because that's like that isn't my mum." And she's like, "I've was using. I've been using this Michelle Thomas thing for about a week, and that's it just amazing. it's so weird. It just imprints on your brain. Um, so anybody Michelle Thomas, that's like M I C H E L, and you can get it on YouTube and try it out. In fact, my mate Declan, um. My personal tailor at Slater's actually. If anybody's looking for a suit, go and see him because he's the best. <laughs> he's done it for. He started it for Dutch because he's been working in Holland. And um, Dutch is really hard. But to he learn. said it's like sticking in his head as well. It's crazy. Like I don't know what magic sort of code this guy mm-hmm. Michel Thomas has cra- uh, cracked. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try that. You should. It's really, really good. Yeah. I anyway, back to back to your studying. So wait a minute. Go, talk me through your first course. So, criminology, psychology, sociology. I can't even talk you through it. I hardly went. You're just like I figuring just, like, out why criminals are the way they are. Well, that's what I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't. Oh. Like, it wasn't. It was just a bit like... Do you think it's going to be CSI? I was convinced when I was younger I was going to be a detective. Like, I had a weird... <laughs> like, I hate... Like, I know it's now a thing where everyone's like, I really like true crime, but, like, from the age of 12, I was obsessed. And my dad had to, like, take books off of me because I'd stay up all night reading these, like, awful crimes that have taken place and like like rapes and things and I'm like this is fascinating and my dad I would like would stay up all night and my dad literally came and he was like I'm banning you for reading these books like it is so unhealthy that I was is like nuts. that is crazy and then I wanted to become a detective it's funny you say that someday see years ago a girlfriend split up with me as she said she came to me and she's like you're obsessed with being a detective and I think we should split up and I said <laughs> Good idea, we can cover more ground that way. She came on the walkie talkie, she's like, this, this relationship is over. I said, This relationship is what? Over. <laughs> That's the most dad ever. <laughs> I know. I've just lost about half my listenership because of it. Oh, I've got tears in my eyes and I should admit that shit. <laughs> <laughs> laughing so much he's bright red I wish you had cameras in here <laughs> when I want to go for steak and cocktails in Glasgow my only thought is ghost on Bothell Street Every Saturday and Sunday between 12 and 3pm you can enjoy their summer and spritz offer of a main course and spritz cocktail for just £20 I'll be there this Sunday for the phenomenal steak roast and I'll be staying for the cocktails and the incredible surroundings. So treat yourself and head to Ghost this weekend. You'll be glad that you did. <laughs> sorry, I need to calm down. I'm so sorry. I've never had a podcast. I'm just screaming and laughing down the mic. It's going to annoy people so much. <laughs> I've got actual tears in my eyes from two pure nonsense pissed jokes oh, I'm sweating from that I I've waited like 14 years for somebody to set me up to say that he 
you've got a sad life. <laughs> oh, I've got this fucking saddest life ever. <laughs> Anyway, so you're obsessed with fucking vicious crimes. <laughs> yeah, um, I just think I was just so fascinated at a young age that like people could behave like that. Yeah. And then from there, I was like, I'm gonna solve crime. And then we had this um, school careers meeting, and they brought in all these mad, um, like people from different career paths and everything. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to the detectives, and they were like telling me all this crazy stuff, and they were like, "But don't get it wrong, it's not like Twenty One Jump Street." And I was like, "I don't care. This yeah. is what I want to do." That's... And then I did social sciences, and I was like, "This is shit." Like, pish. when can I go out in the job and like see all of this? Yeah. Figure out who Jack the Ripper was. Like, just exactly. let me out there. So then, so then you changed the languages. Obviously, the French must have been really like oh, just yeah. simple and straightforward. Yeah, I didn't tell people that I was French. Oh, did you? <laughs> no, not for so a while. They must have just thought you were like, like a bitch. You are fantastic. <laughs> but every other language is not food. And they were like, yeah. And then obviously after a while, I was like, Mum's French. And they're like, well, that explains it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It helped a lot with other languages. Like, yeah. it really helped with um, French. I mean, not French. Spanish. It yeah. really helps my Spanish. But also, I've got Spanish family. My mum's fluent in Spanish too. Oh, sure. So, like, that helped a lot. I'd love to hang about your mum then. I'll set you up. Yeah, let's do it. It's got a partner though. Uh, so I'm, I'm just looking to have a wee, a wee, <laughs> a wee chat. A wee intercambio, that's all. <laughs> um, and then Mandarin and German, though. Is that they, not just biting off a wee bit more than you can chew? Well, like, I didn't want to do those, but they were like, yeah, they had to do them. Like, it was part of the course. <laughs> I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still laughing at my walkie-talkie joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's still red. <laughs> Am I? Yeah, we yeah, My head feels pure roasting. Yeah. Oh, so they were like, so you have to do more then to to see it's like a worthwhile course. Yeah, but then it shut down a year later. Like the whole course just got like sacked off. That's mental. I know, and it was just a lot. And Mandarin was like, I mean, obviously Mandarin's gonna be really difficult. But imagine doing that over Zoom. Yeah, that'd like be really difficult. Just, and German, I liked, but like it's just again over Zoom. Like, how am I supposed to learn all four languages over? Well, I mean, three over yeah, Zoom. Yeah. So yeah, I just really didn't. Enjoy it would it. be impossible. Um, so I sat that off and became an au pair. How so, how little kids, that, kids? I'm looking forward to hearing about this. But uh, I want to hear about Mandarin. How much? How far did you get with Mandarin? Oh, I'm lit. I don't ask me anything. I've, I've no idea. I'll get two phrases. Okay, go. Well, ni hao, ni hao ma. Okay. Hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. And then because I went to Hong Kong. And I was like, so when I go, because when I, I can speak a wee bit of Portuguese, but when I first went to Rio, mm. um, I taught myself, I was like, like get the stuff you need, like a bom dia, posho terra, oma, like this mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I just learned, do xiao chen, how much is it? Taiguila, too expensive. That was all, that kind of all I taught myself. But then they would like talk back to me and I'd be like, I fucking no, no, what I said. No idea what so for all I know, they could have charged me more. And what it was, but just I thought because I said four syllables, I was like some sort of like <laughs> international genius. Um, so the course ends then. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of just like in Edinburgh thinking, like, what, where the hell did I go? Well, yeah, because so the first lockdown happened. I went home to Glasgow, then I went back to Edinburgh, moved in with four of my pals. So it was like flat of five girls, one bathroom, second lockdown hits, and then I'm uh, an au pair for these two French kids in Stockbridge. No, Newtown, Stockbridge area in Edinburgh. If anyone knows that, it's so off. Fancy, and Like, so fancy. living in this huge flat and they got all of their snacks imported from France. What? Class. Why Why were they even in Scotland? Because they're... Because Paris became too dangerous. Like, because of the protests in Paris. They lived in one of, like, like a really posh area of Paris but it was, like, a main street. And there was cars going on fire all the time, protests happening all the time. And they were like, nah, we don't want our kids to grow up here. What is your understanding of that, how the French are? Because obviously, 
just in a sense take no shit but but I love it yeah so do I so I I was going to ask like what is the perception because you look at it here when the electorate and the public are pretty much very apathetic and Mm. I feel like in fact there's a really there's like a famous do you know what Spitting Image was was? Mm -mm. Spitting Image was a satirical programme and it was um, basically all cultural figures but mainly politicians as these sort of um, caricature puppets Mm -hmm. And they would just satirise like the stories of the day or whatever. And there's there's one that kind of sticks in my mind where I think it's like John Major, who would have been the uh, Tory Prime Minister at the time. They were going around like campaigning and setting, uh, so they were chapping doors and canvassing. But as they were chapping doors, they were like setting the thingies' houses on fire, like the just the public's house uh-huh. on fire or whatever. And the joke was they were like, oh yeah, I'll still vote for you. And it's kind of like the same here. Yeah. I feel as if. Like how a few things, right? Nobody fucking admits to voting conservative yet. They keep getting elected. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same. Like I've never met Andy. It's like yeah, yeah, I bought that Coldplay album, but they keep fucking getting to number one. And you're like, <laughs> it's like none. Like people, people that aren't like aren't admitting these things. Mm-hmm. So when you see it happening in France, and then on one hand, I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. Like they just go absolutely. Nuts. I respect it so much. I don't know why we don't do it here. Ap- apathy and uh, kept docile. Uh, and I suppose I'm part of that as well because I'm not exactly. Out fucking... I know I'm not out there like setting cars on yeah. fire and stuff. But so like, are the French are the French public kind of in support of it? Because you know here, like, so for example, yesterday on the breakfast show, one of the headlines I presented was there had been new laws that have been swiftly put into place in the space of about a week and given royal assent and signed off by the king um, to hammer protesters. So, you if you um, even if you link your arms to prevent people passing mm-hmm. they're saying that that you know i can get you up to six months in jail like just off the bat it's not so basically clamping down and protest uh-huh. and here so then I, I made this point and i was like this is a really slippery slope because when has a government ever relinquished its powers for example even the covid powers i remember at the time saying yeah i mean i agree we should have certain powers for covid and to enforce rules and that mm-hmm. and i was going but it's dangerous because the government aren't going to then go and this is the scottish government i'm talking about they're never going to relinquish those powers. Once they've got them, they've got them. And that's mm. it, you're never going back. And if there's an incremental sort of erosion of your right to demonstrate democratically and that's taken away, then it's kind of dangerous. So my question that roundabout way was, do they get support for the French or do they have people sneering and going, what are you doing? Just accept it. Not really, because I think the French hate their government so much. See, like the tax rules and, and divorce laws and all that are some of the most insane things I've ever heard in my life. Like what? Well, in terms of, um, oh, here's a story. And this, I'll tell you this story in full, right? And people probably will crack up at me not telling this, but basically I am aware of an heiress of an, like an international global company who was duped and she was sort of conned into marrying somebody. This is this was like two years ago. And you're not allowed to say who it is? No, nah, I can't. I can't. I can tell you when we're off. Okay. Um, and the story is actually insane. My pal told me as we walked along the river, right? And uh-huh. I was like a puppy jumping <laughs> off the ground. You see, as he was telling me, I was like, this is, it's like a film. It's absolutely insane. Long story short, she was duped or sort of deceived into marrying somebody who had basically only just split from his actual wife and who had a daughter but who um, had kept her a secret 
and basically COVID hit and he says, oh, you go to London, I'll stay here in France where it's safe. I went, sorry, and look after this business or something because he had like some side business of like a hotel. And uh, one day the wife gets a phone call to be like, hi, I just wanted to talk about the life insurance policy that you cashed in. She's like, what? How could I have done that? And he said, yeah. Exactly as we suspected, we know you're not dead, but this had been cashed in for millions, and he'd been basically siphoning millions of other pounds and stuff. Um, eventually, the police have got. She was at the start was saying, oh, "No, listen, I don't want to press charges." Blah blah blah. Like we should go our separate ways. And the authorities were like, "Mate, this is this is beyond you. Like he's defrauded these banks, so that's who's going after him, and like the state are going after him." And anyway, long story short, they get all the way to the end and it's like they can't recover jewellery, they can't recover loads of cash, like most of it's gone. But then they said if she wanted to file for divorce under French law because she was the one with the most assets and cash, Mm -hmm. that she would still be obliged to give him X percent, whether it was 30% or 40 or 50 so that's I find that to be absolutely insane. There may really? be there may be somebody that can educate and say, no, that that's not right or whatever, but I mean this is a story that, that I, I was told. Because um, right now there's a whole thing, there's a there's a footballer, right? Oh, what's his name again? Is it Hakimi? Ashraf Hakimi, who plays for Paris Saint Germain. Mm-hmm. He's French Algerian. Now you might have seen there was a um basically I hate using this term, but for a shortcut I'll say it, a fake news uh, story that was circulating mm-hmm. that he had nothing, no assets or anything in his name. It was all in his mum's name. And his wife had filed for divorce. And it was all these wee f- guys laughing, going, oh, what a hero, what a legend. She's tried to get his money and she can't actually get anything because under French law, she would be, um, oh, what's the word? She would be due, like, half of it. Mm-hmm. The actual story is he was charged with rape. Oh, and she Christ. filed for divorce, which just shows you oh, as well. And right. a kind of side conversation, the the dangers of just reading things that you see yeah. or how quickly we guys are like, yeah, stick it to that bitch. And you're like, yeah, the amount of hate on the internet towards women is yeah. literally shocking. Right, so French law to me just seems a bit, it seems a bit I nuts. didn't know any of that. <laughs> so now I'm going to go speak to my mum. <laughs> is, is the tax rate not like obscenely high as well? I don't think so. Like, I don't think it's any, because I mean, I don't know anything about tax in France, but like, I just... Like assumed that like the UK is like the worst place on earth. Yeah, all right, okay. So here it's saying it's basically between thirty and fifty percent you'll pay. Which I'm not saying taxation is a is a good thing. Mm. But there can sometimes you're like, Jesus, that is mm-hmm. pretty stifling. So the French the French hate their government now. But I've I respect that they hate their government and they actually do something about it. What about us? We just like and I I mean I'm the same, like I don't do anything about it. Like but at least they're going out and protesting and showing how... Like, did you yes. see that they set fire to, like, the town hall in Bordeaux? Did they? Like, fully set it alight. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they're just... Because their retirement age went up, like, by, what, two years? Yeah. And, like, my mum gets a bit annoyed, though. Like, and I think she gets annoyed because... We've got it worse in the UK. If you know what I mean? Like, our retirement age is what? Like, what is it now? I can tell you. Because it's higher than that. Has it not just gone up? Oh, so I actually did a thing as well. I think that the, it's 66 right now, but the, the... It's going up to 67, I think. What's that number? Say, oh, Brian's saying 100. Right, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, Brian. And that's what it will be, by the way, by the time no, we get there. genuinely. Um, but my mum gets quite annoyed about it because she's like, well, we have it so much worse here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but at so least they're doing do something. something about it. But like, I can't, my mum's not going to go 
riot. Yeah, you know but what that's I mean? that's a wee bit like when someone says, "Well, do you know what? I had to pay uni tuition fees, so why should anybody else get off it?" You're like, "No, well, things should be better for people exactly. coming behind you, like not worse. Exactly. You shouldn't want people to suffer just because you did as well." And I think more people should be <coughs> standing up to the government here. The, I think we're letting way too much. Yeah. But then again, like I could go do that. The most the most recent government proposal about um, retirement ages is. Quite funnily, actually, I was surprised at this because this was a proposal from the Conservatives basically saying that they would like to raise the retirement age for people who work in quote-unquote sedentary jobs that aren't physical manual labour because obviously working in physical manual labour would be more taxing for your body. It's not as simple or straightforward as that. So they actually want to off, uh, have like a bit of a tiered retirement age. But then that obviously comes with its problems. Someone could have worked in an office for half their life and worked in a building site for another half and mm. how, how do you police it? Um, so, sorry, we've gone way off, right? Yeah, I know. Talk about and that. that that happened because these these wee French kids who are getting their snacks imported, that's just I just have an inverted snobbery towards. You're like, it's quite annoying, but fine if you if. I mean, I had access to the, all those snacks, so I was not what, complaining. What type of snack? Were you having like, hey, can I have my baby bell? <laughs> It was like all these. Can, can I have my wee string of onions? What <laughs> they get, please? <laughs> I, that's literally just it. It's did you wear a, Did you wear a berry and a striped top to work? That is Sean. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but they were though. I think that was another. Like I can't be talking shit about kids, right? Oh, you can, because I talk in a school <laughs> and I talk shit about them all the time. I hated the kids I taught those when they were horrible. Kids were some of the most. Like, oh, I feel bad. They were just so stuck up. I they, doubt they listen to Blethered, so yeah, I would just go I, I, on them. They live in Singapore now. Do they? Yeah, like, they moved. So, basically, I started working for them during lockdown. Her, the mum, I think, was um, Slovakian. Dad was French. Grew up in Paris. Then they moved to Edinburgh. And they went to one of the private schools in Edinburgh, so I'd go pick them up every day, blah, blah, blah. And, like, at first, obviously, they were little angels. I was like, these kids are so great and everything. And then, like, the more they got to know me and, like, the more I got to know them and, they, like, they got way more comfortable, yeah. that they would talk about money. Like, they were 9 and 11 and they were talking about money. Like, they would ask me, like, they would say to me, guess how much our house cost? Guess how much our car cost? And I was like, who? Like, it's the parents. The parents were teaching them this. Like, yeah. But they were, they would... Before they moved to Singapore, they were like, guess how much our house in Singapore costs? It's got a rooftop pool and, like, a gym access. And I'm like, what do you mean gym access? Like, you're nine and 11. Like, yeah, you've heard, You're not yeah, going to go, like, get a pump on at the gym. Like, I, it was so weird. See if a kid like that said that to me, if they went, I'm like, right, okay, let's play this game. Right, well, guess how much your house costs? Right, okay. <laughs> well, guess how much the car costs? Right, now, guess how many pals you've got? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's less than one. It's It was bad it was bad and they like made like their parents kind of let them get away with everything they would like I, I'd end up having to do their homework for them because their mum was like oh this is just what they do and I was like what do you mean this is just what they do yeah, what do you mean, my dad would have gone mental at me if I was like can you do my homework for me yeah it was bad tell them it was we, bad yeah we fannies but free snacks we jobs during lockdown it was just half the day yeah ah, that's not too bad did yeah. it pay you alright enough to get by nah not really it was £100 a week so, hmm. So you've got all this money, but you can't pay somebody. Like, is that how much <laughs> yeah, you value your kids? And they lived in a really nice house. Mm. I know. But what did they do? The guide, you know? They were software engineers, both of them. They like they would work at home. So like, I was just kind of in the room next door. But they wouldn't want me to like. 
like I'd have to play like board games with the kids, even though like they were not allowed to go on their screens or anything, which I understand. But like, there's but only so much you can do. How much of an oxymoron in terms of parenting does that seem? You're like, no, listen. We don't want them to be getting too much blue light because it's bad for them. Yet we'll let them turn into two little cunts. Yeah. Like so, yeah. Like you can't fucking like them that much. Like, mm-hmm. You can't care about them that much. Weird. Um. And then what followed that then? And then I got a job at a PR company for a p a small PR company, a COVID startup. Right. Um. Called the Reputation People, which actually shut down, which was really sad. Like it went bust. But there was only three of us. I really liked working there. I was a social media executive. Really, like there was, was a tiny team, three of us. It was nice, but it didn't last very long. Yeah. Like it lasted, I think, like maybe like ten months. Then they like had to shut down and everything. Then I went like, but while I was working there full time, I was working hospitality too because they couldn't pay me a lot. Mm. So I was working two jobs. So like, I'd finish work and go straight into hospitality. So I was working at like from nine to like eleven. God. I was so shattered, but like had yeah. to do, had to do. But I've worked in hospitality since I was sixteen, so I was kind of like whatever. So then I started working <laughs> in this mashed potato restaurant in Edinburgh. It is amazing. Like I, I loved that place. Everyone was so nice. I'm still pals with people that work. A there. mashed potato restaurant. Yeah. Who's waking up on a Sunday and like, oh. We're number one on Twitter. I say we, as if I still work there. I'm hungover as fuck. Like, oh man, pure need some mashed potato. Like, wish, now, remember people used to tweet, wish McDonald's did deliveries? Now they do. <laughs> wish mashed potato did deliveries. They used to. How strange. A mashed potato restaurant, I did not know such a thing They're existed. number one on TripAdvisor in Edinburgh. Rewards for mash? For mashed potato and meat. Like, it's so good. Right, genuinely. there we go. you got nine different types of mash. Uh, Oh, I'm like a huge advocate for this place. Like, I still go in. It's so close. Interesting. Mash. Yeah. So I worked there. Yeah. Um, worked there for like a good year and a bit. And then what did I do after that? Well, then I went went and worked into worked in retail for uh can't really talk about. And the shop that you've just left. And the shop that I've just left, and the girls amazing. Like some of my really good pals now, but. The sh- like the managers were pish and like it's just they're the they greenwash so much they're all like we're sustainable blah 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 but like everything that they have is wrapped in like 50 uh, layers of plastic just talking nonsense and just other stories our, yeah and many others <laughs> I didn't know what to reply to that but yeah like they just they greenwash yeah. and like everyone there was sound it was just that <clears throat> Like, it's a shit brand to work for. Like, I don't believe anything that they say. And, like, that was one of the things why, like, I wanted to go work for them was, like, I was like, oh, my God, I really, like, I resonate with your values and everything. Yeah, and I, I too am a fucking mad jumped-up hippie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, then I patched that off. And well, see, here's, here's where we get to the good point. And people might be like, mate, why are you asking her about what languages or what she did at uni or what like what shit did she do when she was know, 12 and, like, Who the hell and what mad stuff are you reading about but this is because this is the point because then I feel like you, a lot of people in life you go through like different jobs and different experiences and a lot of them you absolutely hate and mm. very often the main or the, the, the constant is like the fascination of like human psyche and why are some people like this and you're experiencing people at all ends of the sort of whether it's a financial or social spectrum, mm. and then you'd start a podcast. Yeah, and then I started Because a you want to find out, is it, well, what, what prompted you to start it? Had the idea been there for a long time? Or? 
Well, I'd already started one before. So I had another podcast that I did. Um, like, it started just before the second lockdown hit. I did with two of my pals. And I think it was purely just because, like, podcasting was, like, becoming bigger and bigger. And I just really enjoyed chatting to people. I like talking about different things, like, hearing people's opinions. And I thought, I'm like, like the one of the girls turned to me and they were like, why don't you do a podcast? And I was like, yeah, but I didn't want to do it by myself. Mm-hmm. So Why not? I think I was just too shy at yeah. that point. I think, it, like, and there's this, like, whole culture in Scotland of, like, you know, like, anyone that does anything new is a bit, like, it's a bit cringe and stuff. So I, and also I was only, like, 19. And I just thought, oh, like, you're being so cringe, like, all this. Um, and now, like, I don't care as much. But started that and then we did like a good like 30 episodes of that it was called hush hush love i really really loved that podcast what were the standout guests we had eddie anonymous their um instagram instagram page that was set up by these girls at edinburgh university where people um submit their sexual assault stories fuck's sake and they like but they post loads per day so we got them on and the like there's like a group there's four of them that were running it but we just had two of them on and they talked about like what got them into it and like how they experienced sexual assault at the university and like how often like how like normalized it is like people like it's edinburgh uni i don't know how if i'm allowed to get into this but like edinburgh uni are like disgusting they're the way they handle things the way they cover things up is genuinely shocking i would have to say like from a I think my perspective and having having worked in things that have been in like say newspapers I worked in conjunction with The Guardian on a mm. big story that came out and I became quite au fait with how you have to handle these things when they're being said um, to like Edinburgh Uni it's a, it's a tough one because mm. that's your exp- people's experiences what they've found I was probably should say haven't spoken to Edinburgh Uni uh, or haven't given them the option of a retort or a rebuttal on that one I should point that out. However, I did listen to the interview with Artie, yeah. uh, your episode 10. Uh, and yeah, kind of, she was basically sharing her experience of what happened to her, I think it was October 2020. Mm-hmm. And then the subsequent response from the the uh, the university and the way in which it was handled and the way in which they kind of went backwards and forwards a few times and kind of did a couple of 180s on things that they themselves had already asserted, which was, yeah, it was... I listened to the whole thing, actually. I was in Barcelona when I listened to it. And uh, I did like it. Or I, I liked and it. that was I, like a completely different guest. I enjoyed I had it. an experience of being sexually assaulted yeah. at Edinburgh Uni. And that was in, like, that's on my most recent podcast, but the old one, that was Eddie Anonymous, and that was, like, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then Artie came on Gift of the Gab, and I spoke to her, and her rapist still walks around campus, and she sees him. Like, that's insane. Was it not, like, a loophole that she, the, the guy, did he manage to get off with it? Mm-hmm. Because Eddie I remember really... listening and being pretty horrified and going, Jesus Christ, but she was undone by a lawyer that she didn't realise was going to be so aggressive. Well, her Edinburgh Uni gave all of the information that Artie gave them to this guy's lawyer and his family so they could prepare, and she wasn't prepared because ah, she didn't yeah. know. That's, that, that's, it. that's the thing I remember yeah. thinking. That's absolutely horrendous. So I think that was my most, like... That though, like Eddie Anonymous, when they came on Hush Hush, like they really stood out to me, and then Arthur on Gift of the Gab really stood out for me too. And just like the fact that she's 
put together all these like campaigns and like stood outside Edinburgh Uni and continued to like send them emails and be like, "What is wrong with you and all this?" Like, I just don't know how she can do it. What What was her sort of hypothesis or conclusion that? The university was protecting the financial interest because they've got a lot of foreign students. So. And he was an international student from Canada. Uh-huh. So, like, they, the university, like, he was, his family were giving money to the university. Hmm. And they only care about money. They're like a money hungry, like, machine. Like, I don't know how they, I don't know how they can live with themselves. But, like, this is completely off topic, but I just, I'm, I feel so strongly about it because like, I've been sexually assaulted too. Like many times. Oh, and uh, I heard you speaking about that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell that? That was a bit of a shocker. Yeah, like I was first sexually assaulted at the age of 17 in Kokomo. Like, oh, yeah. So what is it now? It's. I think it's still Kokomo. Oh, God, I don't know, man. It's been a lot of years since no, I've been Cushion. In... Cushion. Oh, it's it called Cushion? Manuka, isn't it? Yeah. So I was sexually assaulted at 17 in Cushion and a guy came up behind me when I was like walking through like one of the doors and he put his fingers up my skirt and inside me. No way. Yeah. And obviously like I'm I was talked about this in my podcast, but I've like always say that I'm really lucky that my first instinct is to fight back. Like I've and a lot of people will either go into shock or they'll just run away. Bloody but hell. I like that like, I've always had the instinct to just like fight back. So I like spat on him like No wonder. Went crazy. And I like it was towards the end of the night and one of the bouncers kind of saw it go down and she was like do you want me to call the police but I was 17 and like my first thought was like I want to come back to this club like I'm not telling them I'm not going to go to the police yet and then ended up at the police station like through a pal coming to get me I was there because it was like three in the morning I didn't get seen until like nine in the morning so I was there for hours waiting to be interviewed and everything and like nothing came of it but like that's not the first time that's ha- like not the first time like that that specific incident's happened to me. It happened to me in Edinburgh too, and then uh, that so that's happened twice. I've had another guy that was actually like not this summer, the last summer when the Scotland Scotland England were playing at the Euros. Yeah, and this guy, I was standing in a Scotland top outside this bar in Edinburgh. And my pal's taking a photo of me and there was this like group of like mid thirties, late thirties guys standing behind me and they were all wearing Celtic tops. And as I was getting the photo, they all came in too and one of the guys bit my boob, like fully bit it. And it's in the pictures. Like <sighs> in the photos, like, and he, like like I had like bite marks and everything from him biting it. That's horrific. And I literally was like, What the fuck is that? That was on? that was the one that I'd heard you talking about. Yeah, and he actually got done for that. Because there was evidence, like actual photo evidence, and like after it happened, one of his pals came up to me and was like, "Don't do anything about it. He's got like a wife and like a kid." And I was like, "That's even worse." Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't be doing that. You cannot be doing that. Mm. Did you have to go to court? Yeah, but I went to court just in December. There, it took like a year and a half Fucking to hell. get seen to, and in Edinburgh. Yeah, sheriff court. Sheriff court in Edinburgh, and is it the sheriff court? I'd imagine so. It's, Seems like yeah, yeah, the court in Edinburgh, and. I'd already been before and it, his lawyer didn't show up or something, so we had to leave. I was there for two hours and I was like, for fuck's sake. How the hell does that happen? Like, your lawyer doesn't show up. Surely we've got, well, that's, I know, I know you, people need to yeah. I've got a right to a fair trial, but if you just don't turn up, then. And then the second time, I was going to be in the room with him and I was like, I don't want to be in the room with him. This is like a sexual assault case. Like, surely there's like standards you have to meet with that. Mm-hmm. And then I waited there for like an hour and a half with him because <clears throat> my pal was a witness. So I was sitting there with her for like an hour and a half. And then this guy came up and he was like, hey, he pled guilty so you can just go home. And I was like, oh, God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> so Did you get any compensation home. or anything? Uh, nothing. 
That's why, I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't even imagine like what, what's going through somebody's head. To, no, but to like even that. I've had this happen to me. I think I'm, I'm like showing a lot, but just purely because like I think it's really important because it happened to me in a, in a relationship as well. Like I was sexually abused throughout a relationship that I had, like not that even that long ago. It was just that summer that passed. What the hell? Um, and I didn't realise it was sexual abuse until I talked to my therapist about it months later. And she said to me, no, that is sexual abuse. And then, like, it dawned on me that, like, what he was doing was so wrong. And, like, it comes in so many different forms. And, like, I think a lot of people assume it's going to be really violent and, like, crazy. But sometimes it's just, like, it's, I don't know, it's weird. But not enough people know about it. And, like, I didn't even know it was happening until I was out of it. I mean, it... Obviously, that's unbelievably sensitive information, but you're saying for other people to know, like, I don't want to push you to, to share any details or something that makes you feel uncomfortable, but... I'm very uh, open to sharing stuff. So, I mean, how, what would what would that have been? And and how did you not realise at the time? And by the way, I don't mean that as if, how the hell did you not realise? No, no, no I know. Um, <clears throat> purely because I thought that I was the problem, because, so, like, it came, it started off... With like, I wasn't allowed to ever shower alone. What stuff like that? Like I like he'd force my head down when we were in the shower, and like if I didn't do it, he was like, "Oh, like this is what I want. Like you, I know you want to make me happy and all this." And like I just assumed like I was just being like we weren't even really together. Like, I just assumed like I wasn't being like a, a nice, a good enough partner. <sighs> and like then it just kind of got progressively worse. Like having sex with me, even though I would say no. But then, like, Trip, then. would like push me to the point where, like, I would just give in. So it wasn't like a forcing me down. Like it was, um, like just wearing me down mentally for me to then give in and just have sex with them oh, and telling me man. constantly that I was boring and like we weren't having enough sex, even though we'd have sex like three, four times a day, which is like a crazy. Amount. So I think I think he's probably a sex addict for a start. Um, and it, it was just constant, just like constant manipulation, and then. There was a point where um, he ordered these masks, these balaclavas off of Amazon because he wanted us to film ourselves having sex to put out on the internet. And I, I was like, absolutely not. And he was like, you're so boring, you're so boring. Like, you, people won't even see your face. Like, come on, we could like, make money off of this. And I was like, no, absolutely not. And I think I was so disappointed in myself because I'm, like, really strong-minded and I'm someone, like, I've got a big personality and, like, I can say no to people. But in that situation, I just don't know what came over to me. But I think he really took advantage of me at a really shit time in my life where I was grieved. I'm still grieving my dad, but it hadn't even been a year since my dad had died. My brother, they'd found melanoma on my brother. Like it was all happening at the same time. And he just like knew that I was vulnerable mm. and took advantage of that. But yeah, it was, and like even like just, it was just constant. Like, it was nonstop. And he lived in France, he was French. So when I came back to the UK, I was like, I think being away from it made yeah. me realise how f beyond fucked up it was. And like he threatened to like tattoo me in my sleep and stuff. Like it was so fucked up. And like he filmed me without my consent. Sorry, I'm like really going wild, but he like filmed me without consent, like during sex and things. I know. Yeah, it's not on. Yeah. And Don't apologise for kind of expressing yourself yeah. a wee bit. Um, yeah, I just think like it's obviously horrible to hear, but like... 
we need to talk about it more like even like especially in relationships like you don't realize until you're out of it and it took me to come back to the uk and speak to my pals yeah because i like felt so embarrassed and then when i spoke to my therapist like the first thing i did was speak to my mum, and my mum was like what yeah. and then my mum's my first thought was like but you're such a strong girl gabrielle and i was like that's not the fucking point <laughs> there's obviously like loads of mitigating factors and loads of other like circumstantial scenarios and stuff and explaining them we'll, we'll chat about your dad and stuff and yeah there's nothing for you to feel it's very easy when so- for someone to say that to you who mm. isn't was involved in it but it's not it's not for you to feel as if you've done it wrong or I should yeah. have been stronger I should have been this because like you say it's not it wasn't a typical time and you're in okay you feel very comfortable in France but you're still in a foreign country and you don't have your closest network yeah. immediately to hand and I think when it comes to issues of intimacy. Yeah, people have conversations and people talk and stuff, but people don't really go into the most intimate parts of their lives. So you often don't actually have something to compare it to. Mm -hmm. And you think, what is the norm or the benchmark or the standard? And am I somewhat below that or like out of sight of that? I mean, I hope, I take it you you cut things off then. Oh my God, yeah. But the one thing was, was um, like we're from the same village in France, which is like, a tiny, tiny village. Like, I was like, I've known this boy since I was like thirteen. Yeah. We like grew up in the village together and everything. And like, I just was like heavily involved in his family and stuff. Like, friends with his cousins. That makes it very tough, and it yeah. So it was really, really tough. And like, it's just weird because now my village in France is tainted for me yeah. by all of that. You know. Has he ever apologized in it? No, he's crazy. I had to block him because he, he sounds it. would like blow up my phone, and like we weren't even in a relationship. Like I told him, I was in my relationship. He lived in France, like, and also yeah. like I'm young, like I didn't want a relationship, and I was going through it a lot. And he would just blow up my phone. Like when I was working at the Fringe, I was going out with like two of my guy pals for a drink afterwards, and I posted it on my Instagram story, and he was like, "Are you trying to make me jealous?" Uh, <laughs> like, I... Constant, 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 like, and then always like, like he would. I was didn't end things for a while because he was like giving me indications that he was going to kill himself like and I felt this responsibility that if I completely cut him off he'll he'll take his own life like mm. it was he was just saying like how he was so depressed and that was the only thing that he was living for and I was like fuck off like I, get fucked yeah. and then it took and then when like I like got the courage I was like you can actually get so far to fuck I never want to see you again yeah it's a, it's a complex one in itself it's a minefield if somebody says something like that to you and that's you feel that way, like, oh, this is kind of on me. Mm. And I suppose to a degree, that's completely normal. Mm. And in fact, a reasonable reaction to be like, well, fucking hell, I'm not going to pull the plug on this one right now if that's yeah. what I'm getting. But there comes a point where you're like, right, well, yeah, that's I mean, on you, unfortunately. Completely. And like, he had just such a victim complex to the point where like, I would forget about all the shit that I'd been through. Yeah. And like, it took for me to come out of him and be like, hold on a minute like you were saying all this what I was going through like the worst time of my life yeah it was just insane and with that being the worst time of your life because you've kind of touched on it as well haven't you about Mm. about your dad kind of are you alright talking about that how do you feel yeah 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 I've talked about it before yeah um, (laughs) I don't really know where to start I think I'll start from the beginning when he got diagnosed so my dad was diagnosed with um, melanoma cancer which is incurable like once it's like unless you get it cut out early on which he did when he was really young um, but it, well, they just had to 
go through with it because there was no way of stopping it. That was the night before my Nat 5 maths exam. Um, and, like, it all came out and it was just a mess. So that was back in 2015, I think. And he died four days before Christmas 2021. Ugh. And, like, that was... I don't even know how to describe it because, like, cancer is just... Like, it doesn't take... Like, it just cuts through... Family, it ruins families. Like, it destroys everything. Like, it was horrible to see because it was just a long, slow, painful death. Like, and it really annoyed when people were like, oh, but at least he died peacefully. My dad did not die peacefully. He died in pain. Like, he was in pain till, like, the very last moment until, like, he literally took his last breath. And it was just an awful time in my life because I was having a shite time in school. I was having to deal with that at home. My dad had an affair. My parents split up. Like, it was just all going to shit. And then it went, got to a point where I just ended up shaving my head. Like, out of, like it was a proper, like, I am going insane. I'm going to shave my head. But I, like, covered up to be like, I'm shaving my head for charity, which I was also doing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was like a cry for help. Like, I'd never been so run down and ill in my life and, like, shaved my head. I, I dumped my boyfriend the day before and then shaved my head the next day. Talk about making a change. And then raised five grand in three days. And I was like, wow, (laughs) okay. Well Um, done, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) And then that was in August and then September, October, November, December. Four months later, he died. I had a shaved head at the funeral and I was like, fuck's sake. <laughs> like bright platinum blonde, <laughs> like shaved head. I've heard the people saying about shaving their heads and it's a way of regaining control in a way where you feel as if you get none. Did you feel that or was it just... I think it was like a cry for help, but in a way it was kind of like a, I need to breathe. Like I felt, I don't know why, I just felt like it was what I had to do. And yeah. now like it's, it's grown back to exactly how it was when I shaved it. Like it's it's taken some time. How but long did it take? I kept shaving it for a bit. Did so you? I don't really, I'm not too sure. But honestly, like the grow out stage, I've never felt so ugly in my life. <sighs> yeah, man. <laughs> preaching, I know it's very different for guys and girls, man, but preaching to choir here, I've just grown my hair for five months. But you can't do it, but yeah, you know, it's just it's, nothing you can do. Awful. You look as if you're wearing a swimming cap. I looked like a rat. It was just not it. <laughs> but I'm glad that I raised that money. And it yeah. was like a, I don't know, like it was a way to like, just breathe. Yeah. Is it not like, it feels like a theory of when people are panicking and they get really bad news or whatever, the first instinct is to take, to take clothes, the clothes off. off. It was like that. Yeah, yeah. Because like I knew my dad was getting worse and they'd found like cancer the size of a golf ball in his cheek. God. And it was just getting worse and worse. And I was like, fuck, I need to do something. And yeah. like it literally I my friends remember it so vividly. I don't really remember it. Like there's a lot of my life that I don't remember purely because I just think like, my brain's trying to protect me. But there I texted my friends like three days prior, like, all my best pals in the group chat, I went, I'm going to shave my head. And they were like, what? Because I'd never expressed anything like it before. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone away with my dad and, like, a little, like, Fador, like, a couple of days away. And I just turned to my dad, I was like, I was like I'm going to shave my head. And he was like, what? I was like, I'm going to shave my head. And, like, after that, everyone was trying to, like, talk me out of it. But, like, I'd taken the decision within a minute because I saw someone on the internet with a shaved head and I was like, maybe I should just do that. But, like, I'd, and I did not think rationally three days later... I was going to do it in um, Rugby Park at Kilmarnock, 
Why? Because I was raising it for the Ayrshire Cancer Support oh, right. Centre. And then um, the squirrel, like the mascot, was going to shave it, but they couldn't do it on time. Oh, really? <laughs> I know. Because my dad was a huge uh, Gilly fan. Oh, really? So okay. I was going to do it there, but yeah, they couldn't organise it. Half-time entertainment. Yeah, no, literally Celtic. just like this poor girl Everybody shaving like, her head. off, off, <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So I was supposed to do that, but they couldn't organise it on time. So I just did it. Like My aunt came, down from, came up from air and did it for me. Yeah, you know, just nip into city barbers, fiber. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't take it off, will you? Oh, she just like she and I dyed my hair bright orange before I shaved it, and I did such a bad job that when I shaved, I had these like brown patches on oh, my head, God. so it looked like cheetah print. And everyone was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah I did it on purpose." How funny would it have been if like shaving it off and then they? Shavers cut out halfway through. That's what happened to me another time when I tried to shave it and had like a little mohawk. It looked <laughs> so bad. I imagine me like the wee sort of ball patch in the middle, like a fryer, <laughs> a fryer tuck haircut. One time I like shaved it so close to like my scalp that light was beaming off of it. Like oh, it was so bad. Yeah. That reminds me of the Friends episode. How it is, you know, like, mate, get over it. It finished like 18 years ago, man. <laughs> but it's like they, they, they talk Rossi's girlfriend into shaving her head. <laughs> Really? I, I like, at, a, at a beach house. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like they said, they, like, he's like, I could see the moonlight bouncing off her scalp. <laughs> that was, yeah, just made me think of, yeah. yeah. Um, did she, oh God, I mean, I don't even know, how how do you even begin to deal with that? I've, I've spoken to a few people like on, on the podcast about grief and how you even begin to kind of manage it and process it. Is mm. it just, how, how did you? Because I, I can't even comprehend that. I don't think I have really properly processed it, to be honest. I think I'm still in, like, a state of shock. Yeah. And then I have, like, for a really long time after my dad died, like, I didn't cry. Just Like, numb. I'd cry when I was drunk, yeah. but, like, by myself. Like, I'd have, like, a sob in my room when I was really drunk. And then, like, I just didn't really acknowledge it. But two months after my dad died, because I was so, like, run down and depressed, I actually gave myself a kidney infection. Oh, God. And my mum had to come pick me up from Edinburgh and bring me back to Glasgow and go for, like, an emergency um, appointment. And because, and like, my doctor said, this is purely because of, like, your body's, like, sad. So after that, yeah, I just didn't really cry for a really long time. And I just, I think, I think it just still hasn't hit me. It's weird because grief... Is universal, but it's so individual. Oh yes, you know. Yeah, and it's I just can't really describe it. It just feels like you've got a heavy weight on you all the time, and like I don't really know when I'm next gonna be able to like fully feel like I can breathe, and it's just weird. It's probably that's such a great way to put it. Universal but individual. I feel like the weight will probably be room. It'll be getting lighter so gradually the day to day you won't notice it mm. but they'll probably get to a point where just I don't know one day or in a period you'll probably stop and reflect and go actually this feels a bit better mm. um, because the way I've heard it described as well is like it starts off with this huge weight and eventually kind of will diminish it'll always be there mm -hmm. but it's smaller and it's lighter they can maybe fit in the palm of your hand and it's like so Every now and again, you go, what's this thing in my hand? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's that mm. horrible, tough thing. But it's like, well, you kind of learn to live with it. It's like it, f it eventually fits into this wee box, which you carry around. Yeah, but... you just kind of, like, grow around it. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's probably, it's, it's easily the toughest thing about being alive, isn't it? Yeah. Which is funny, you're like, 
And if it has to be born, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. Please, ask for this shit. please give me a break. Because I feel like it's just been constant. Like, my family have had, like, we're lucky in many other aspects. You have had it tough. Like, but yeah, last it's while. just been, and I think it was like a, even more of like a slap in the face when my brother got melanoma too. <sighs> they had to cut out of him. But now, yeah. it's like a thing in our family. It's like in our genes, and like our kids now have 50% chance of getting skin cancer. Mm-hmm. And no one realizes, like, how easy it is to get like mm-hmm. it's like you could just be walking around in the sun here like you can get like my dad is like he was ginger but yeah. like he was very careful in the sun like he never really sat out in the sun and he still got it like mm. it's it's just a dis- it's a horrible cancer yeah it really is it's really tough and, and you know I've, you've kind of touched upon here and you've kind of said in general conversation about all these things that are piling up and they're really challenging and stuff but I'd also encourage you to look at that and look at then how you're getting on and the things that you're doing because I'm not going to ask you about patching and patching your job yeah and that kind of thing because I like I love that and it's very when you're in the day-to-day and you're kind of just getting by you can look and think no this is this is too much this is too heavy when you zoom out you take a look back from let's say December 21 until what we are now, May 23. And you're like, look how far you've managed to travel. I know. In spite of what's kind of been holding you back, mm. it must feel quite good when you, when you do that. And I know you're, you're the type of person that <laughs> you don't look back too much, but no. it'll do you well at some point. Well, you were the first person I contacted about patching off my job. I was the first. Yeah. I, and I was like, fucking do it. Yeah, do it. no, literally, as well, soon let, as I texted you. Let's tell the story yeah. and then you can go to that text then. So... So I'd been started freelancing for BBC Radio Scotland, um, the mornings program, um, back in February. So like not even that long ago, no March. And like I really was loving it. Like I was getting asked to come on loads of shifts and stuff. But I was working re- in retail, and like I kept having to like sack off shifts at the BBC to do my shifts in retail and I was hating it like the whole time I'd be at work I was like I could actually be grafting in like the industry yeah. that I want to be in I could be making connections I could be doing everything that I want to be doing and I just kept getting shifts and I just like wasn't really telling anyone about it because I was like fuck sake like I don't know what to do and my mum kept telling me like phone in sick go in go <laughs> to the BBC like she kept encouraging phone in sick um, and all, even all my pals at work were like phone in sick phone in sick like they were encouraging me to do it and it got to a point where I was like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to speak to Sean because see, whenever I need any question asked, I answered, I'll just go to Sean about it. So I texted you and I was like, here, listen, I keep getting chefs, I need to sack them off. And you went, what the fuck are you doing? Sack it off now. Make the plunge. And you're like, are you a broadcaster? I was like, I'm a broadcaster. <laughs> and you're like, go do it then. So then I just literally, that, that very day, I literally wrote, within the five five minutes of speaking to you, I was like, I just wrote my letter of resignation, went straight into work and I just went over to them in the shop floor and I was like, Thank you so much for this opportunity. I will not be returning after two weeks. And they were like, fair enough. And that was it. Yeah. And then I took the plunge. And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. It takes a lot of courage though. Like it does. I like I've been thinking about it for a while. I've been speaking to my flatmate about it, I've been speaking to my mum about it. And I'm really lucky that my mum like offered to support me because mm. it's not guaranteed that I'll be getting shifts every week. Like yeah. freelancing is quite hard, like when it's, it's tough. dry. Yeah. And my mum was like, look, this is what you want to do. I know you want to do it because you graft at it. I will support you. Mm. And I'm going to move. I'm moving back home as well. Like, I can't afford to like live in Edinburgh anymore. But yeah, it's like, 
it's it's about knowing when the opportunity is there is what you said to me and like yeah. just taking the leap exactly because it's very easy to say to people yeah no just chuck your job chase your dreams and yeah. like yeah well okay rubber I need to eat so, <laughs> yeah like, literally but it's um if if there is an opportunity there for whatever it is to do whatever you find saying I said this to you I was like whether you want to be a fucking painter and decorator whether you want to go to study something at uni it's like if you have the opportunity to do that then go and do it because I was kind of mm-hmm. sharing this isn't about me but I was kind of sharing the points of yeah there were certainly lean months right at the start for a long time and you'd be like what the hell, fucking hell am I doing and I got offered my job that I had been I initially made redundant from get offered it back and jumped at the chance I was like Jesus Christ because then I was going to be on even more money than I had left and mm-hmm. I was earning a decent wage mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god yes and I, I said yes to the job probably had the first time I slept in about eight months without panicking but mm-hmm. then the day before I was due to start just went ah, no, I'm not, I'm not coming to do this because it then came to the point of me thinking well I would rather have just enough money to get by but I have to get by but enjoy what I'm doing all the time mm. they to hate what I'm kind of doing because I'd hated that job it was pish mm. um, was like, I mean that's terrible I, should, I sound so ungrateful it was a good job but it wasn't for me I just didn't yeah. tie in with my personality and um, yeah I remember saying and being like I would rather be skinting but love kind of what I'm doing and that I mean yeah, that, no, that, that only gets you so far because like eventually yeah. like you want to advance in life but because if, if you there's no room to grow then um, it was like the, the short term deal I had to make myself to just be like well just accept this I'll be less for a while and it, it will get better but it's kind of like a chicken and egg scenario you're like it's not going to just all fall in your lap mm-hmm. you have to kind of when you're at the bottom of the mountain or whatever you're trying to fight your way up and eventually you start getting things and like you say you meet people you make connections and yeah, it starts to go your way. So I'm sure it'll all, I'm sure it'll all go your also, way. Also, I have just quit my job, so it would be a real shame. But this is always, out. it's always the good point of the story, isn't it? Every, yeah, true. Every good book worth reading always starts with, well, here's how everything was going really bad. Or yeah, just like that jump off point. Yeah, because it was like going really bad up until like recently, where I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see the light a bit more. But like, I'm like really critical of myself like I've really like picked myself apart I'm like you should have done this better you should have done that like what are you doing and like I think that also kind of is I mean as much as I'm really mean to myself I think sometimes it does help because it really keeps pushing me you can, you can leverage it you can be critical of yourself without being horrible you can yeah, look at it I'm still you, learning that you need to just remove emotion from it just be mm-hmm. like a robot at times mm-hmm. and just be like well Alex the therapist is, does not like me to do that yeah but it's kind of like you need to be at times but when I'm, I mean with your work and stuff yeah. you just look back and go yeah I would change this this and this but you're not going to change everything overnight you're not going to just adapt and change your style completely overnight it's like it's incremental like yeah. I've got bad habits it's like I was about to say still as if me a seasoned veteran of the game <laughs> 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 it's, been like, it's been a long time I've still got these bad habits I'm like yeah. why are you still doing that for God's sake mm. but you can't you know, you can't consciously change everything overnight no. and it's the same way you can't consciously or you can't just click your finger and change the way your life is overnight but you need mm. to start somewhere and you've been really bold and brave and yeah it's because I was shouting at you and being like why are you, fuck are you <laughs> yeah. still why are you still there 20 minute voice not later you better resign yeah no literally you're like are you a broadcaster yeah. I remember that so much <laughs> I know. that walking stuck down, out to me walking down the can I was in Princess Square actually downstairs uh-huh. and people must have been looking at me like wow he must be delivering a team talk to like yeah, some team about to go and play in a championship game <laughs> um, so 
now that you're back in Glasgow and you've taken the plunge and you've been bold mm -hmm. and if it was to pay off for you I hate when people ask me this remember you asked me that yeah we were so in the car. what's next I'm like sorry like it's been on fucking TV every week not enough no <laughs> Like having a decent podcast, like had a few acting jobs. Like, what do you want me to run for first minister? Like, start as councillor. You'd you want be me quite good, you know. As a first minister, mm -hmm. I would, but I would need to have some great um, political advisors and people to be you, like, oh, you should. Here's the people would be like, here's the deal. Here's the facts. Here's the shit. You know, they go on camera and say it, and then I would just go and win votes. You'd be good at that. Yeah, I would. But you'd what, have my vote. Yeah, you'd have to be. A, I'd just be out cracking jokes. <laughs> Not doing anything to you. Yeah, I, I just, I'd probably end up just borrowing for like the populist playbook. I'm like, how did Boris Johnson win that election and just copy that, but in a slightly more likable way? I it would be fucking hard with it. I hate that so much. Um, but I, the question that I hate, I'm going to turn it on you. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if what would what would you like to get up to? What opportunities would you like to imagine? And don't be shy in saying it because I'm always dead shy. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. I'll just take anything that comes yeah. my way. I'm like, no, listen, Aunt Dick, get at me, fuck. Put me on Saturday night, take away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm, firstly, I'm buzzing to come back to Glasgow because the opportunities are here. And I just love Glasgow. It's so much more, like, don't get it wrong, Edinburgh's pretty and stuff, but it's so boring and stagnant. It doesn't move enough. Um, but I'm excited to come back to Glasgow and just like see what will happen because there's not that many podcasts in Scotland like there's a an open market for it I think mm -hmm. and it's a good time you know like straight while iron's hot but what do I want next I want a nice studio that I can bring guests into I, honestly I was speaking to someone about this I think yesterday and I have a list of all the people that like I really want on my podcast one day so Lewis Capaldi obviously Scottish he's a laugh I want Amelia from Chicken Shop Dates show mm. her she's class I want Stormzy I'd love to have Stormzy on my podcast Palantini because I want to talk to him about how he disappeared interesting yeah. Um, who else I want on I had someone else Louis Theroux Stacey Dooley Graham Norton he's such a laugh Alan Carr would be really funny Yeah. Uh, I want you on my podcast too oh yeah well <laughs> You're I mean, like, probably no. best asking me first, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's probably much uh, farther If can't make it, Sean, I'll get you yeah, in. Yeah, okay, I'll yeah. do the backup. All these, like, I'd love to be interviewing all these amazing guests. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I'd love to do a bit of TV. But before, yeah. I never thought it was something that I was interested in, purely because I think I was really put off by, like, the way people tear women on TV apart, like with Caroline Flack. Like, people were just really nasty, and I was kind of put off of it. Yeah. But going on TV, I'd love to sit on Graham Norton's couch with <laughs> yeah. a bunch of amazing guests. I don't know, I just really want to... I want to, like, represent Scotland and, like, get creativity going in Scotland, Brilliant. to be honest. I like the, ambi the ambition, I like the vision. Mm. Um, there's something I was going to say. Yeah, your podcast, where, mm. will, pe where will people hear the, the existing episodes? Where can they get you? The existing episodes. If you want to see my face, I'm on YouTube. and then I wouldn't on... recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'm about to go on Amazon Music. I'm on Anchor. I'm on all streaming platforms. Would you like to know a little tip? Just say whatever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> there you go. Save you a lot of time. <laughs> Gifts the Gab. But there's quite a few Gifts the Gab podcasts, but I'm the one with the big mouth on. Yeah, very fitting. Um, they, as always, the link to Gift of the Gab is in there the episode notes where you can find it and the link will take you directly there uh, and then you can listen whatever you prefer um, this has been great thank you for having me thanks for um, one allowing me to 
make my joke about being a detective. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but in first year, and God, I didn't expect us to go down some of the places that we did, but um, I tend to, you, know, you tend to find that you'll know this when you talk about stuff and it might reach one, ten, a hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, that message might reach somebody, but if it reaches one or a few, then it's definitely been worth it and it's been selfless because it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to, mm-hmm. to reflect on and, and to express yourself upon, especially when you probably bury it away for most of the time. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, good luck with uh, the podcast and stop fucking messaging me to get you to <laughs> leave your job. <laughs> Because it's, it's, it's all on my shoulders now if it Any goes wrong. Any problem, like, Sean, what do I do? Yeah. I might just for a laugh just start telling you the opposite of what I would do. <laughs> See what happens. No, it's been great. Thanks very much for coming thanks in. for having me on. Anytime. And thank you, as always, for listening. And we'll be back same time next week with another episode of Blethered. Cheers. Blethered was written and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media, Natural Wonders, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Dairy Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.